Sit tight, take hold. A Good Omens Podfic, written by Needed and read by Literarian and Jub. Part 1 of the Hashtag Rainbow Road series. Chapter 12 Circuit Gilles Villeneuve, Montreal, Quebec, Canadian Grand Prix qualifying. Summary in which things come to a head and Izira can't keep his secret anymore. Nice one out there! Izira looks up from disrobing in the locker room and glares at Sandalfon. His teammate gives him a toothy grin, his long face and receding hairline soaking in smugness. He rolls his eyes and continues to undress down to his fireproof undergarments, a set of white and blue tights and a snug athletic shirt. Sandalfon, undeterred by Izira's silence, sits down directly next to him on the bench and starts stretching. No need to be testy, we all have our bad days. He pats him on the back and then leans in. Though I've heard you're not in Gabriel's good books, if you know what I mean. Ezera chews the inside of his lip to distraction and pulls his uniform sweats on. Then he reaches for his GO Force One cap and shoves it over his hair, a mass of curls in dire need of a cut. He pulls his bag out of his locker and throws it over his shoulder, running through his to-do list. The post-qualifying debrief, a shower and then a trip over to Brian's hotel room to watch The Great Escape. It'd be too bad if something happened tomorrow to knock you out of the race, Sandalfon says as he walks away. Stopping in his tracks, Izira glances upward at the ceiling, looking for strength. What do you mean by that? Sandalfon shrugs. Just saying, it would suck to get a DNF. You should know, since, you know, you knocked us both out of the race in round two. Istanbul shouldn't still sting but it does. His teammate purses his lips, a sour look ghosting across his face. Then he says, I guess it doesn't matter for you since you're starting at the back of the grid anyway. He lets out a harsh breath through his nose. Yeah, thanks, he says. I'm aware. The last thing he wants to talk about is his poor showing today. He didn't make it out of Q1 and ended up placing in the bottom five. It's his worst starting position of the season. Meanwhile, Sandalfon placed P12. For the last 30 minutes, he's run the course through his head, trying to figure out what he could have done differently. The Canadian Grand Prix has an interesting route of long sweeping turns, straightaways and one dangerously tight corner. 
His car understeered the entire way through, and no matter how many laps he did or how warm his tires got, he couldn't find the grip. Better get used to it, Sandalfon tells him. He squeezes his shoulder a little too tightly. Your star is falling, though I guess you could always suck the chairman's dick to save your seat, he says in his ear. See you at the press junket. Izira flushes red hot and clenches his fists at his side. Fuck, he says, at a loss for anything else. On the other side of the room, there's a bout of laughter as the other drivers clear out. Then Newt rounds the corner and catches sight of him and the twisted frown on his face. Tough luck today, eh? Izira throws his racing suit down to be collected later by the staff and huffs, dragging his hands over his face. It'd be fine if I felt like... (laughs) He shrugs, at a loss for words. Every team of drivers has some tension. In an equal car with equal strategies and support, they're always the biggest competitor. But teammates also have to be partners. Sometimes they can even be friends. Look at Crowley and Ligger. I wish Sandalfon wasn't such an ass. Newton makes a face. He's the sort of guy who finds something nice to say about everybody, but even he hesitates. Yeah, he's always been a bit of a jerk. We were on the Renault Junior team together a decade ago, and... Yeah, sorry, friend. But hey... You are having a really good year so far. Keep it up and you can sign with someone else. Sandalfon's words linger, though. Do you think it matters that... He trails off. He's never said the words to anybody besides Raph. Never mind that it seems obvious to everyone else that he's attracted to men. Newt was bloody there in Monaco at the after-party when Adam was clearly hitting on him when Ezira hadn't rebuffed the advances. Newt blinks at him. That you're a freshman driver? No. That you're Greek? No, that... He waves a hand at himself. I'm... Oh, Newt snaps his fingers. That you're on a team with an absolute wanker? Ezira sighs. That's not what I meant either. But wait, who's the wanker in this situation? His friend smiles. Anasima sits in on the council meetings for F1 and says that Gabriel is a cunt. Her words, not mine. Also, none of the other team principals get along with Michael. 
Then there's Sandalfon. Rayleigh, we haven't figured out yet how you managed to get signed on with a bunch of assholes. Things have been tense ever since the end of the summer break between his era and Gabriel, ever since he signed that stupid NDA and has been instructed to keep his head down. Every day he shows up, shoulders tense and stomach tight. He can't get a good night's worth of sleep. Even going to hang out with Adam and his Haas friends makes him nervous, even if nothing's happened between them, like someone might see them talking and get the wrong bloody idea. Or maybe the right one. He doesn't know how he feels about the whole thing. It's nice, he supposes, to be found attractive, to be wanted but part of him is too heartsick still, and the other part is terrified to act on any sort of attraction. Gabriel's warnings keep him awake at night, and it's starting to show in his performance. Anyway, Newt says, patting him on the shoulder. I don't know if it bothers other people, but I don't care if you're gay. Izira chokes on his spit. He said it so easily, and Newt laughs. Come on, we're gonna be late for the press. Izira jogs after Newt, lost in his head as they walk together. They're miles behind everyone else, a distinct lack of camera crews or interviews about while everyone crams into the main conference room. He chews his lip before nudging his friend. Hey, he says, anxious when Newt looks back at him. You don't mind if I... Well, you know, Adam. I think he's pretty gone on you, Newt says, point blank. He's a nice guy, but... uh, He looks around and then leans close. Was there anything to those rumours about you and AJ? None of the other drivers have said anything about it, surprisingly. Much was thanks to the glare Crowley gave the first week back in Monaco and the severe distance they kept between each other. On instinct, Izira bursts out, No! while shaking his head. Then, like an inescapable habit, his eye catches a shock of red hair and sunglasses leading into the conference room, derailing his train of thought. Newt turns around, following his gaze, watching as Crowley holds the door open for Ligger and another driver. Really? It's complicated, Izira says, a vast understatement. Well, uh, figure it out before you drag someone else into it. Adam's a nice guy. He sighs, letting out a rush of air. <sighs> yeah, I don't think there's much else to figure out other than it's never going to happen. He flushes when Crowley, twenty feet away, 
catches his eye and holds his gaze for a second. Then Crowley nods at him before following Ligger inside. Huh, Newt says. Well, silly season is upon us, well underway here at the end of June. As usual, lots of speculation is in the air. Here's what we know so far. Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, Anthony Crowley, Esteban Ocon and Sebastian Vettel's contracts are all up at the end of season. That means six high-profile drivers are up for grabs. Who do you think will stay with their current teams, and who do you think will make some moves? Let's start with Max Verstappen. I think it's very unlikely that he'll leave Red Bull. He's been with them now for the last seven seasons, and I don't think that relationship will end anytime soon. Ever since Ricciardo's departure from Red Bull, there hasn't been another driver who can handle their car the way Verstappen can. Right, and I think we'd be hard-pressed to find a team that could afford them. Exactly, and there are few teams that I think Max would want to try to that could give him a chance at a world championship the way Red Bull does. Then we have Lewis Hamilton. For the last three years, he signed provisional extensions with Mercedes. Is this the year he retires? You know... I don't know. He's such a strong contender, one of the best. But where does he go from here? He's broken every single Formula One record there is to break. Right, and he's a man who needs a challenge. Again, if he does decide to continue racing, I don't see him going anywhere but with Mercedes. And speaking of retirement, all season we've been talking about Anthony Crowley. His contract is up with Renault this year, and they have been the only team who's been willing to sign him for the last five years since his catastrophic meltdown at Ferrari. He's still a top-notch driver, but there are a lot of new up-and-comers that Renault might want to invest in instead. You know... I think Crowley would benefit from a move in management. He has been having a stellar year, and I almost think we might see him on a podium again this season. At qualifying here in Montreal, he earned P3, which is the highest he's qualified in over two years. Could the rumors be true that McLaren has offered him a seat? I think it would be really poetic, honestly, if he makes the move. It was his freshman F1 team, it's his home team from England, and they also have this astounding culture of support for every team member, driver to janitor, that I think he would really thrive in. I guess we won't know for sure, though, until the ink has dried on the dotted line. For now, that's all speculation. Yes, that's why it's the silly season.
I'm sorry I'm late, Izira says when the door swings open. His hair is still damp from his shower, face scrubbed raw. Woof, Pepper says. What's wrong with you? He hears Adam from inside the room. Oi, let him in! Stop harassing him! She opens the door and gestures him inside with a bow. Seriously, though, are you sure you want to hang out tonight? Yeah, of course, he says. He needs, if anything, a distraction. Sandalfon's night remarks have been ringing in his head all day and Newt's encouragement has been only a minor sound. Adam and his friends are all at least welcoming, even if he still feels a bit out of the loop with all of their inside jokes. Then he lets out a breath of relief when he hears a familiar voice. About time you made it, Ruff says from his spot on the floor, leaned up against the bed frame. We're already a quarter of the way through. I got waylaid by Michael. She wanted to go over strategy. Again? It's bloody nine at night. Almost ten now, Raph says, looking at his phone. They all shuffle, leaving room for Ezira to sit next to Adam at the head of the bed, and he sighs, slumping visibly into the pillows. All right, what did I miss? Adam leans over, their shoulders brushing, as he whispers in his ear. They're forging the documents for their great escape. So, where's the car? It's a motorcycle and it's not until the end. He's a heavy, pleasant weight against Izira and his breath smells a little like pretzels and popcorn. Izira leans over to meet him, voice low as to not disturb the others from watching the movie. Hmm? Mm hmm? I see, I'm already winning this debate. Definitely not a car movie. Definitely a movie where the vehicle plays a major role in the narrative. It wouldn't be the great escape without the Triumph TR6 trophy. He raises an eyebrow. Adam, with his fair skin and blonde wavy hair, looks far too delicate for a motorbike, though he knows not to judge a mechanic by their looks. Most likely, he's strong as an ox under his boyish veneer. I didn't know you were into motorcycles. Didn't strike me as the type. Well... Adam says with a flirty eyebrow. You haven't seen me in leather. Izira's face goes hot. With Adam so close, there's no way to hide his flustered face and the other man catches it right away. Really? Adam asks, scooting a little closer. It's the leather that does it for you? He thinks about it for a moment, calming the thudding beat in his throat. Maybe he's had a little thing for authority, something he's never looked at too closely or had anyone to explore with.
he picks at the seams of his jeans. Dunno, maybe it's just a uniform thing. Well, it's your lucky day. Turns out I have a racing suit and helmet down in the garage. Izzy Ra can't help it. He's flustered and being flirted with, and it's very strange and novel. He lets out a giggle. <laughs> yeah, you and every other driver and mechanic. It's a wonder you can contain yourself. Lots of good-looking guys out there. And then, just like that, he thinks about Crowley. The image that pops into his head isn't the classic Ferrari poster, Anthony fucking Crowley with his glasses on, helmet tucked under his arm as he leaned up against his car. No, the vision he has is of him, sweat-stained with matted hair, face and freckles flush from exertion on their run in Istanbul. Yeah, he says. Something must show on his face, because Adam tilts his head and brushes his knuckles against the back of his hand. You okay? Izira takes in a slow breath. Sorry, it's just weird. I'm not out. Joking about it seems odd. It's a half-truth, but definitely something that's been on his mind. So far, those closest to him have been okay with his preferences, but it's been in a hypothetical way. He's never had a partner, a boyfriend. The media lost their goddamn mind over just a rumor, a few pictures and a smile, and Gabriel treated the whole thing like his era's sexuality was an inconvenience to him and his brand. He pushes off against the headboard and sits upright. Um, he says, breath quickening. I just need a moment. He slides off the bed and cuts in front of the TV to the balcony, sliding the door shut behind him. Then he braces his hands against the railing and puts his head down. Fuck, fuck. Fuck! Struggling, he breathes in through his nose and out through his mouth, going through every mantra and calming strategy he can think of. The cloying tightness is gripping around his larynx like a chokehold. He has no idea where the panic attack comes from. Coming out and getting tangled up with Crowley are so intertwined that he can't pass which is the real issue, where the fear is coming from. That week, one stupid week with him left him so brain-dead and heartsick that he hadn't seen it for what it was, how dangerous the situation was, how reckless they were being. He signed an NDA, for God's sake. What is he thinking, flirting with another man? Any man. Hey. 
He whirls around, just as Adam steps out onto the balcony, sliding the door shut behind him and backs up against the railing. Whoa! What just happened? Speechless, he shakes his head, breath coming out in short puffs. Adam reaches for him and guides him against the wall. Slow down. Deep breaths. You're going too fast. Izira lets out a mirthless laugh, hiccuping. Then he stares down where Adam takes his hand in his own. He looks and looks, but it feels like peering into a swimming pool, a mirage. He can't feel a thing. I'm sorry, I can't do this. Do what? Adam asks. And Lord is he sweet, his voice soft and hands gentle. It's everything Izzy should want. But looking at Adam is a bit like looking into a dream world. He's an idea, an intangible vision, something make-believe like a wish from a genie. Ezira doesn't know why Crowley is different, why the ground feels firmer and his body heavier whenever they're near each other, but he understands the difference. He understands that nothing will compare for a long time. How do people do this? He looks down at their hands and squeezes back before letting go. I don't think I'm ready for something. With you. I'm sorry. Adam looks crestfallen and, worse, understanding. It's all right. I'm not out yet except to a few people, he says, trying to explain himself. I get the idea that everybody kind of knows anyway, but still... You don't have to explain. I get it. But now that he's started, the dam breaks and everything pours out uncontrollably. And I'm afraid of what will happen if Gabriel finds out. He's already said if I cause any more trouble, he'll rescind my contract. Wait, what? And Sandalfon thinks I'm like blowing the CEO and blackmailing him to keep my seat in F1. Which is an overstatement, but Sandalfon's insinuations have escalated in his head. That's not... And I'm in love with someone else, someone I'm not even allowed to look at anymore. It doesn't take a genius to put the pieces together. Adam's face goes from confusion to outrage to dawning realization, and Izira goes cold. AJ Crowley? Fuck, you can't tell anyone. Please, I signed an NDA not to talk about it. They'll take away my seat. Please, please. Fuck, I have to go. He stands up in a fury, wiping at his face with his hands. Wait, Adam says, but it's too late. 
the glass door is sliding, the room sweeping around him, the hotel room door slamming as he jogs down the hall. All he hears is his blood in his ears and the dry hiccups escaping from him without permission as he escapes down the stairwell. Down and down and down, what must be thirteen flights? It doesn't matter. His hands shake as he reaches the bar handle and breaks free into the car park. Fuck, fuck, <laughs> He twirls around, orienting himself. His phone and room key, he realizes, are still in Brian's room upstairs and he takes big gulping breaths, wiping his nose with the back of his hand. God, he hasn't cried like this in ages, not since he was a kid, not since he was told to shut up and stop being a pussy, and the outside is too loud, the car headlights too bright, the traffic too fast, it's too much, too goddamn much, stop. Isira? <sighs> hey, 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 what, what, what happened? What are you doing out here like this? Hearing that voice is like lightning, a stunning bolt that stops his sobbing, stops his heart. He looks up and finds himself face to face with Crowley. Then he looks down. Are you smoking weed? Without his glasses on in the dark, his face is so much more expressive. His eyes widen and his mouth parts before he drops the blunt on the ground, grinding it out with his toe. That's not the important part. What happened? Izira shakes his head. Crowley reaches out and guides him back towards the door to the hotel. Thankfully, there's no one else about at ten in the evening. His hands are warm, and it doesn't make sense why his touch feels electric. He's not any better than Adam. He's not made of different material, just carbon knitted together into flesh and bone like everybody else, but it feels so monumental to have those hands on him again, that once he's ushered inside the stairwell, Izira spins and forces Crowley up against the wall, smashing their mouths together. Crowley lets out a grunt before his hands come up, tangling in the collar of Izira's shirt, stretching out the fabric. Izira won't be able to wear this shirt again without seeing the wrens in the cloth, without thinking of this mouth that's dry and tastes like smoke and marijuana and the thousands of mouths they've travelled without a single touch between them. And all the adrenaline and all the fear turn to desire in an instant, helpless to do anything but press against that narrow body and grind down. Easy, easy, Crowley says, separating them. He presses their foreheads together and breathes through his mouth, 
swaying a little. What's going on? Please, Izira says, throat raw. Not like this. Tell me what happened. It feels like crashing. Izira remembers his first collision, every bounce and crunch of metal, how it took half a second to ram into the wall, but it felt like minutes. His body felt every tug and pull as he was jostled, torso jerking forward into the steering wheel as he clung on, reaching through a hailstorm blindly for any piece of safety protocol he could remember. When it was over, he felt fine. He walked it off, adrenaline coursing through him. But then the dust settled and everything came crashing down around him, every bruise and scrape making itself known on his tired body. Exhaustion sweeps through him and he sways on his feet, leaning into Crowley's steadying arms. I think I fucked up. I really, really fucked up. And I'm sorry. I'm so, so fucking sorry. Okay, Crowley says. Let's go somewhere. Let's go talk. We can't be seen together. I know. It's okay. I know a place. Come on. The place ends up being the back alley behind the hotel where the service doors are. They tuck up against the wall of a delivery ramp in the dark, shoulder to shoulder, thigh to thigh, and Crowley waits with infinite patience while Izira sorts things out in his head. What were you doing out here anyway? Huh? Oh. I was hiding from bees. They're next door to mine and would definitely be able to smell if I was smoking. Izira closes his eyes, resting his head against the cool cement wall. I'm sorry, I made you throw your weed out. Ha, <laughs> it's all right. Crowley reaches into his jacket pocket and pulls out a nondescript paperback, shaking it. Clearly, he has more. I had to, while we're in Canada. There's no other place you can get it legally on the tour, and I don't want to get caught getting it from somewhere shady. He fishes another blunt out and waggles it. I've decided I'm staying in L.A. for a week over winter break. Just to get high? Well, yeah, and to sit on the beach. Izira can't fight the small smile on his lips. He can imagine Crowley, sun-kissed, with his glasses on and some atrocious hat or another stretched out in the sand with heavy-lidded eyes and a grin. Sounds lovely. His will to fight gone, he reaches out and tangles their fingers together. Maybe in a different life we could go there together. And get really high. And get outrageously high. 
Crowley squeezes his hand and presses close. Are you upset because of me? He asks, voice quiet and somber. Izira shrugs. Sorta, kinda. I may have let slip that you and I am hooked up. He tenses and waits for Crowley to shout, to lash out. Instead, he says, I hope it was more than just a hookup. You too? Izira asks, turning to look at him. In the dark, he's featureless, just a shadow, but he can feel his presence. Are you going as crazy as I am? When Crowley doesn't respond right away, he runs his mouth, the filter between his brain and tongue a loose wire. I can't stop thinking about you. I can't stop looking for you in every room. It's wearing me down, and that's just the half of it. I'm terrified of someone finding out, of Gabriel kicking me off the team. I want to be here. I want to race, but I want you too, so much, and I don't understand why I can't have both. Everyone else has a girlfriend, you know. Charles and Carlos and Newt. Newt's gotten with someone from his own team, even, and I keep thinking about how I'm not even allowed to stand next to you. And maybe this wouldn't work out anyway, but how long do I have to wait to just exist? Ten years? Fifteen years? When my name has faded in anonymity, can I come out? When I'm a fat, old, doddering man, will I be allowed to say I'm gay? Crowley pulls him close, nosing his ear and along his hairline. He presses a single light kiss to his neck. This is what I was afraid of. This is what I wanted to keep from you. I'm sorry. Why are you apologizing? You aren't the one making me sign statements denying who I am. You're not the one threatening my career. You're affected because trouble follows me everywhere. I brought this to you because I couldn't help myself. I drove down to see you when I knew I shouldn't. I asked for one week with you, even though I knew it'd be awful walking away after. And I said yes. They sit for a bit at a standstill. Then we're both culpable, Izira says. Don't blame yourself for this. I'm allowed to make my own choices, good or ill. And if it wasn't you, it'd be somebody else I wouldn't be allowed to have. Crowley's fingers tighten against his. Still, I failed at protecting you. You're hurting, and I didn't know. It is at once the most frightening and most caring thing anyone has said to Ezra, and it leaves him shaky. 
I don't need protection, he says instinctively. He hasn't. He doesn't. For the longest time, it's just been him out in the world ever since his dad died, and he was almost full-grown anyway. Don't you think you're worth protecting, though? And who's protecting you? Crowley lets out a half of a laugh, his mouth wry. All right, he says. You got me there. He looks down at their entwined hands. I think we both know this isn't working. Our previous agreement. What if we come to a different sort of arrangement? Ezira looks at him, his mouth a thin line, a shadow cast over his face from the streetlight. You have my interest. What would this entail? He can't help but let the smile bleed through his voice, a shimmer of hopefulness and lingering want. You, me, Crowley points between them. Preferably with nobody else. Who else would there be? Crowley searches his face. Nothing's going on between you and that bloke from hers. Not that it's my place to interfere, but I'm not good at sharing. Ezira remembers Adam's disappointed, understanding expression. No, um, no, well, that's... Then the boiling panic bubbles up again, and he squeezes Crowley's hands with too much force, and he sucks in a sharp breath. How did you know? Crowley backpedals, alarmed. I wasn't spying. I just saw you two at the restaurant together in Texas and again leaving his room. I just assumed that... Jesus. Clearly off kilter, Crowley stops and pushes away from the loading ramp, scooting around so they're knee to knee, eye to eye. I missed something. What's going on? Ezira's breaths are shaky, chest tight, that welling, swarming feeling coming back. His eyes and face are hot. Adam is... I mean, he's a nice guy, and he expressed interest in... in me, he says in disbelief. But I didn't really do anything with him or, or return his feelings. I wouldn't be mad if you did. You know that, right? We agreed that it would be a one-and-done thing between us, and if you left England and never looked at me again, I'd have no right to demand anything of you. That's not what I meant. Ezira wipes his hand across his face. There was a certain level of intention in our interaction, and if you saw it, who else did? I wasn't even really interested in him, yet you sussed it out, and how am I ever supposed to keep this a secret when I'm so fucking gone on you? 
He knows he's shouting. He knows he should just shut up. He feels Crowley's arm slip away, and when he looks up again, the man is staring at him, wide-eyed and raw. It's not worth it. We're not worth it if it's hurting you, Crowley says. I'm hurting without you. I'm hurting regardless. Looking out down the service alley, Ezira can see the tiny, minuscule headlights zip by on the interstate. He doesn't understand how there are millions of people going about their business while he's having an absolute meltdown. I think I've been hurting, and I didn't know until something I wanted was dangled in front of me, and I couldn't have it. I can't have you fully, not really. Not even casually, the way Raph does with a new girl every city. He lets out a defeated breath. I'm tired of it. Crowley leans over and presses their mouths together. The touch feels muted, that electric spark between them depleted from the roller coaster of emotions he's been through. The terror at outing the both of them to Adam, the elation of finding Crowley again, all expelled from his body. You need to rest. Crowley looks down at his phone. It's almost midnight and we have a race tomorrow. We'll talk more later. We don't have to decide anything tonight. Ezira reaches for him and pulls him close. Do you think I'm being crazy? he asks. Crowley looks at him with a tight expression, forlorn. There's a glimpse of understanding, a shared sorrow as he shakes his head. No, I don't. Then he shakes himself out and rubs their hands together, their fingers gone cold from the midnight chill. Can I walk you back? Ezira lets out a huff. <laughs> no, he says, hollowed out. Best not. Anthony fucking Crowley June 5th, 4.25pm I'm sorry about all of this. I know, it's for the best. Today, 1.15am If you need anything, call me. Anything. <laughs> 